Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, this is Anthony. And this is episode 381, Ranking Our Games of the Year. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Hey friends, we're back and we are talking about our greatest games of the year. And they're so damn great that we decided to find a way to make them even greater by ranking them yet again. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, we are in the 10th year, calendar year what? of Gamers Anonymous. Our ninth anniversary is coming up here in a couple weeks. How'd that happen? I know. It's crazy. <laughs> and we do these top 10 lists. We're like, hey, we're 10 years-ish in. Let's mm-hmm. rank the games of the year that we've had over the last nine years. Mm-hmm. Uh, which which games that we thought were the best in that individual year are the best overall in the last decade? So basically, we're ranking the last decade of awesome games. And that's not meta because we've already ranked them each year. So right. rank them against each other and then rank them upside down and rank them left and right and turn them upside down and do the hokey pokey. And that's what we're all about. Hey, man. It's a podcast. It's what we do. We take we take information, we twist uh-huh. it up and put it in a certain order, and then we there produce that as content and tell people this is the way the world is. These are the games that you should play. There you so. go. All right. I, yeah. Yeah. No. I, I. Why not? I mean, I guess in, in a variant universe, the, the the numbers are different. But this one, this is the list. This is the list. This is the list that they'll talk about from years to come. They'll say, remember they did that list? And they'll go, yeah, I remember that list. And like, yeah, that was that, that was a list. Yeah. Lists. <laughs> you gotta list things, man. You got, you got to bring order to a chaotic universe. And the best way to do that is listing the 10 best board games, or as we call it, ranking our games of the year for the last 10 years. So love it. Love it. <laughs> All right, so that will be our feature review. But, of course, before we get into all the fun list making, um, Anthony, we've been having a lot of fun out there in the world. I, I, I guess a lot of companies have been doing their latest and greatest, getting those things out. Game Nerds recently had a little bit of a sale that's actually going on right now as, as we speak. So... Anything from uh, Game Nerd's kind of big game nerdy day that just piqued your interest? Why it popped up there? Why it sold or why it didn't sell? Right. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's fun that we're doing this recording on the day of the sale because we can look at it live as new games pop up. Um, they're really good deals. It's the thing. Like, so I, I told everybody I know who doesn't own as many games as I do, like, oh, check out the sales. There's going to be a lot of good stuff on there. You definitely should buy things. Mm-hmm. But as things pop up, as they scroll down, I'm like, I have that. I have that. I have that. <laughs> and eventually, once I've said that like nine times, I'm like, I should not buy anything. What am I Ooh. doing? So while I watch it and recognize the amazing deals that pop up, I have not personally partaken of the Game Nerds nerd days or whatever they call it yeah uh, because i don't need most of these games i own a lot of them uh, sure. which is a good sign like they're all good so <laughs> it's a lot of really good games sometimes these sales pop up and you know this sales 50 games in a day which i think is perfect 
miniature markets like we have nine thousand games <laughs> you're like oh great that's amazing and then you spend four hours looking yeah. through the list and it's all junk that's been on there for five years yeah and 30 cents cheaper than it was last time it was on sale <laughs> oh i'm glad i spent my day doing that <laughs> so. and not always either sometimes no. those things <laughs> that is more Sometimes it's more like I remember this as a deal of the day it was like 50% off. And now it's like you said, like 30, 30% off. I'm like, I don't think this is better. I think this is worse somehow. Yeah. I, I guess they get you in the fever. And once you start buying things, you're like, yeah, I'll buy all the other things as well. So yeah, it, it's, it's an actually an interesting list. Like you said, in comparison to some of the other companies. And I, and I think again, talking about the last 10 years, there has been a, a dramatic change in board gaming. And again, maybe this is a, you know, a conversation for another time between Kickstarter, between Asmodee kind of purchasing everything it could get its hands on and, you know, how companies stopped producing so many games and there was less companies now and everything's on Kickstarter. So like, there's like a thousand reasons why this happened, but like once upon a time, there were these big sales, not all the time, but when they hit, they were like, they hit hard. There was like a lot yep. of games. They were big price offs. And it was just like, yeah, it was, it was like how many hundreds of dollars would you're going to buy of a thing? And now, you know, in this day and age where we are currently for so many reasons, supply chain, pandemic, everything else, it's like, here's a handful of games that, I mean, Game Nerds has picked out that are all very good. I don't think I see a clunker in the mix. And as you said, Anthony, for you, it's probably you already own these games. For me, some of these games are like, I like this game, but I'm probably never going to get to the table because you need very specific groups for some of these games. So that tends to be a bigger challenge with the exception of, like you said, where everything is kind of like, hey, that stuff we were going to throw out, it's on sale. Like, oh, okay. But uh, yeah, it's interesting to see. A lot, of, a lot of good games, a lot of things, certain things went on sale, certain things went out of stock. But I, I remember those days all too well where like servers were crash. Remember the server? Yeah. <laughs> I know it's crazy. Like those first like two three years we were in the hobby, man. Yeah. Like Black Friday, Cyber oh, Monday. Like you would scramble. I got so many amazing deals. Yeah. Like I have not played Battle Lore in six years, but I keep <laughs> all of that because I got all of that. That's crazy. For like. Fifty dollars. That's so crazy. During an Asmodee, or I guess that, that's that crazy. So, I just, you know, we don't see that anymore. It's no. not as much fun. No, it is not. It is not. So, yeah, pick up the deals where you can, where you can get them. Hopefully, some great games hitting your table. And obviously, when the next great big sale, which may they be a thing of the past, but it's still good to see good games coming out there. It's it's good to see them you know, getting in people's hands, seeing things sold out that, you know, you and I have played quite, you know, often. So, you know, that they're getting really nice homes out there in the world. So, yeah, cool job for uh, Game Nerds. So big thumbs up on that sale. Didn't pick anything up, but thumbs up for you, everyone else who did. Yeah. All right, I think speaking about our listeners out there doing great things, picking up a lot of games, what are they talking about, my friend? All right, yeah. So our question of the week this week is... If you were to design your own board game, what Ooh. would it be? Why? <gasps> so... It would be on sale. <laughs> Can I buy no. it? Can I buy Give it? me ah. all the money. Ah. 
Uh, all right. So we got a lot of good answers here. Uh, Scott says he'd like to make a game about making steel in Pittsburgh at the end of the 18th century, incorporating the three rivers into the game. Uh, okay. That'd be a lot of fun. I think a lot of industrial games, they, they get really broad. They're like, they look at a whole country. They look at a whole industry. I think it'd be mm-hmm. really interesting to kind of zoom in and look at a specific location, right? Mm, like we saw sure. like Hospital Necked and the Ruhr did this mm-hmm. uh, in Germany, like the coal and then like yes. moving the coal up and down the river. Let's see that in the US. Let's see Pittsburgh. Let's see Detroit mm-hmm. uh, building cars. Let's see the, I guess we've had a lot of Gold Rush games, but like stuff like that would be really cool, like really narrowed in. Um, we have AC mentions, uh, this is a long one. Uh, we have a desire to design a game based in the Dust Bowl era and the promises Ooh. of the West, a la Grapes of Wrath. Okay. So uh, they say they want this design because it is a fascinating concept of where folks place their hope. Why so? And what happens when that unfulfilled hope disappoints? Hmm. So a very bittersweet concept here, but I, I really like the idea of it. Um, and then they mentioned a game that they designed a few years ago called Raven Rock based on the book with the same name. So I um, kind of built it up to a prototype and, have, you know, kind of have it at a prototype stage right now. Sure. Uh, let's see who else had good stuff. Uh, David mentioned something with a space setting, probably with cards, terraforming Mars <laughs> games. I would love to use the action selection mechanic from Terra Nova and the tags yeah. on cards like terraforming Mars. Uh, Melanie says dirt bike or motocross themed. Cause oh, cool. my boys play with me <laughs> nice that's great um scott says he doesn't have an idea here just says the next wingspan because then he'd be rich so mm-hmm. enough, scott um and then uh, jocko says i have thought about making co-op civilization game it would be one to four players four roles like leader war leader high priest and some kind of agricultural industry manager um, games would take place on different eras starting from year zero. Each round would be 100 years. The goal would be to take your Civ to modern or future era. So like a lot like Civilization, but cooperative, which I think is a really cool idea because most Civilization games are 4X games where you're either trying to min-max your own Civilization or destroy the other ones. Um, uh, and then Josiah mentions an asymmetric game that simulates past presidential primaries, sort of like 1960, but there's a lot of interesting elections that you could uh, kind of uh, approach with that. So lots of good stuff. I think we all have that game in the back of our head that we would make if we had an opportunity. Like I've always had this idea for uh, a baseball game because there aren't really any good baseball games that are just baseball, right? Really sports in general are very hard to translate into board games, but I think baseball as such a data driven, statistically driven game it's basically a spreadsheet on a field already. Why not put that onto a board? Right. Mm. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting things you could do with that. And the good baseball games that are out there are very short. They're quick. They're dice based. They're card based. I want to see a big chunky Euro based on baseball. (laughs) Yeah. I think the one that really sticks out for me is related to our academia themed games from last week. I don't understand how we spent so many years in education and there's just not a plethora of board games out there from every aspect right you know from the lunchroom to all the classes you have to take to the friends you make to the graduating classes it seems like it's the perfect theme that everyone knows is kind of built into that institutionalization and like 
here's a handful of stuff that's magical, but board games, you know, like board games, maybe like normal life stuff. We don't do normal life stuff, but I, I, I would like to see that. <laughs> so, you know, and again, maybe that could be some, some really cool kind of legacy mechanic where you're a student and you go on through like multiple class years. So you pick up special skills and abilities and friends and, you know, so yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to see that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So, all right. So if you'd like to join the ever-growing list of future game designers, check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Those conversations are hot and continuing. But always, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. You can find us everywhere out there. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we are probably there. And if we're not, let Anthony know, and then we'll be there. So a lot of good stuff, so check it out. All right, Anthony. So that's everything that everyone else is talking about. Let's talk about some things that we're talking about. And definitely some stuff we want to get to the table. What's our acquisition disorders? All right. So uh, there is a new game up from Sinister Fish Games. Uh, this is Haken Garter. Uh, Haken Hole Garter. Sorry. Yes, sir. I don't want to forget the name right. Um, who designed Villagers and Streets. Came out in 2018 and 2020. Uh, and this is Moon. This is the third mm-hmm. in a... They're calling it a trilogy because it's a third game kind of in a, the same kind of <laughs> long box uh, format. But I, I don't know that they're necessarily related to each other, except that they were kind of traveling forward in time. <laughs> so, uh, But this game is a drafting game in which you're going to have a hand of cards. You're going to pick cards to, to hold and then put them into your personal moon base. And you're trying to build the best possible moon base. So you're going to have different resources. There's a worker placement element um, with the rover tokens that you're placing out. And over the course of three eras in the game, you're going to compete with the other players for majority in the various parts of the base that you're building. So there's housing, mm-hmm. transportation, science, industry, and food production. Um, the leader in each of these, each era, is going to be determined by the different flag icons that are located on everything. So you get bonus points for that. Um, there's also reputation cards that kind of come into the game randomly each time. Uh, they give extra bonuses to the players who meet certain requirements. You can claim the card. So mechanically, there's nothing going on here that we haven't really seen in other games before. But that's kind of the same thing with Villagers and Streets. Like those games were not like mind-blowingly different than other games we've seen, but they were very distilled. So Villagers in particular took a very simple mechanic, distilled it down into this very succinct, simple, but enjoyable uh, tableau builder that you could finish in like 45 minutes Streets was very similar uh, in, in terms of like building a collaborative tableau where you can score points individually. And Moon looks to kind of build on that even further, where mm-hmm. you are building your own personal Moon base uh, and trying to generate uh, the majorities in each of these different areas by doing so. Um, there, the Kickstarter itself uh, is up for another like two weeks. You got plenty of time. It's very similar to their past Kickstarters where you can back the game, just the base game. It's only like $35, which is great. And it comes with the expansion already, free expansion, the Valkyrie expansion. Um, Mm -hmm. And just the retail version by itself. It's almost 200 cards, all the resource tokens, the heart tokens, the wooden rover tokens, like a lot of stuff packed into this box. And when I say packed in, I mean literally packed in. Because every time I play one of these games, Villagers or Streets, 
it takes several minutes to figure out how to put it back in the box because it's packed so tightly. Um, this looks to be the same. Um, the Valkyrie expansion act adds structure cards, additional spaceship tokens, and some Valkyrie launch cards. Um, and then if you want to get like the fancy stuff, you upgrade your resource and heart tokens <laughs> and you get uh, extra bonuses and, and stretch goals and all that goodness. So it's a good deal. These games are always a good deal. Um, again, the base is 35. The super is only 48. The full version, they, they list it. They call it full version, which I think is a little a bit of a misnomer because it's just totally. everything you get plus sleeves. It's so, just sleeves. It's, it's sleeves. Yeah, you're paying an extra twenty dollars for sleeves. If you yeah. want the sleeves, it's not a bad deal for the sleeves. You get two hundred fifty sleeves for twenty bucks. I don't want the sleeves. These games, the, the card quality is good. They fit very tightly in that box. I'm not convinced they would still fit in the box if they were sleeved. So, um, I will be getting the super version myself, which looks like seventy percent of people are doing as well. So, uh. Cute artwork, as usual. All these games have very cute artwork. Um, and this time around, we have, you know, first time we had all the little villagers. The second time with streets, we had all these different types of buildings. And now we have all these ridiculous, hilarious things on the moon, like meteor magnets. Um, and it looks fun. It looks cute. And if it's anything like the other two games, it'll be a blast. So it was an easy instant back for me. If you have played Villagers or Streets and enjoyed them, I definitely recommend checking out Moon. It's up for a couple more weeks. Yeah, I already backed this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I saw that recording. <laughs> Which was not a surprise. It was one of those things where I was like, oh, it's up. I'm going to back this automatically. So there are other two games and their production level and their care and their concern and their reasonably priced board games and they're reasonably packaged board games. I think that's the thing that really just, it just, I, I, it's weird to be happy and fall in love with a board game because it's so compact in a box that you can actually put on a shelf. But if you've been in board gaming for like any amount of time and you open like box after box where it's like, I don't know, 90% of the box is empty you start to get a little perturbed by that. So Sinister Fish does a great job packing a, a big game here. And as you said, Anthony, there's a, there's a lot going on here. I The thing that just, I wasn't going to back the sleeves. I did check my other versions, Village in particular. I sleeved it. It fit in the box. I don't know if this will, but I'm just going to sleeve it with regular plastic sleeves. I'm like, do I want to spend 21 odd dollars for 250 sleeves? I'm like, I have sleeves. I'm like, I really would like the, the custom sleeves, but another 20 bucks, I don't know. But yeah, there, there's a lot of really cool mechanics here. Solo mode here and the rover stealing other people's actions and abilities on their card. So there should be some good level of interaction and in play here. So yeah, really looking forward to this one. And uh, yeah, should, definitely should uh, all check that one out. Yep. All right. So obviously I want to talk about something that I was just like, hey, I'm going to talk about Moon. And then I was just like, oh, wait, what the heck is this? And I'm like, oh, Anthony's talking about Moon. So I won't have to talk about Moon. So guess what, Anthony? <laughs> Your favorite designers, the gentleman, the Italian gentleman behind War of the Ring are doing War of, well, War for Arrakis, a Dune board game hmm. for... Simon. Uh yeah. No. <laughs> so, 
So this is kind of interesting because as as you heard from Anthony's multiple responses here, I will interpret for the audience. First off, the amazing geniuses behind War of the Ring produce probably one of, if not the best board games out there of all time, especially considering the IP. 100%. And first off, we don't want them to be working on anything else. Let me just be honest with you. Like, do other Lord of the Rings stuff. I know they are. They're, they're doing the card game. Finish the final expansion. Where is it? It's not done yet. Give me the final expansion. See? See, I told you. See, I told you. We shouldn't. We should. Should we ask you about JRR token? Uh. <laughs> um. All right. So now, Simon, if you're not aware, and I don't know why you would not be aware if you're listening to this podcast, but Simon produces a lot of minis, right? Yeah. That's the, that's kind of the thing that they do, right? Cool mini or not, right? Remember that back in the day, kids. So. As I'm reading through this press release about this, right, really excited that two amazing designers are handling an amazing IP. Dune is an amazing IP. If you're not at all familiar with the the, the tremendous book series, Villeneuve film that recently came out is amazing. This should be great. Now, that being said, when you read through some of the press releases on this, it says it notes that the board should support up to 100 miniatures. Uh-huh. I'm just going to leave that there for a second. 100 miniatures, Anthony. 100 miniatures. Right, so There are a lot of miniatures in War of the Ring. I will give it that. But yes. they're not $350. Also yeah. give it that because yes. we're talking about Simon, and that's why. Ugh. Okay. Yeah, Ares, Ares Games is a good company. They're, they love their fans. They love, they love their designers. They love producing good games. And somehow they do that at a reasonable price. Simon, on the other hand, is like, hey, how about 100 miniatures on the table? Now, they are saying here that the miniatures will be smaller. There will be a sandworm figure. doesn't say that that will be small. And I think that's the thing that they're not saying here. And I think that's the thing that they're going to do. I think we're going to see a Galactus cthulhu size giant worm, Anthony. I'm just calling it right now. Uh, <laughs> I just, like I, wa- I would love a new game by these guys because yeah. this, like hands down this is the best game they've made and honestly yeah. i would argue that they haven't really made another game that's that good yeah. which is crazy because this is like you said one of the best games of all time war of the ring not dune i haven't played this yeah but so i'm 100 percent on board i love dune i love war of the ring Mm-hmm. Give me this game, especially if you're bringing some of the mechanics in, because that could totally work with all the different yes. factions. All asymmetrical, different... yeah. Oh, yeah, asymmetrical, different decks. That'll be so cool. Mm-hmm. But then you tell me, Simon, and I know it's going to be on Kickstarter, and I it's know they're going to milk the snot out of it, and I'm going to pay $400 for this game, and I'll play it once a year. And yeah, I don't want will. to... <laughs> <laughs> and as you said, Anthony, they are bringing over the War of the Ring mechanic obviously first off you're going to have the asymmetrical kind of two player kind of thing where again i don't want to give away too many spoilers because people may have not read the books or watched the movies yet you should movies amazing the books are revolutionary but also they are from the game the war of the ring so you're going to have the the different factions asymmetry here but you're also bringing in the dice pool so if you're not playing war of the ring you no matter what side you're on, you roll your dice and that gives you an idea of what actions you could take that turn. So 
that's going to be interesting here. So I'm predicting a giant sandworm, you know, note it, put it down, come back to it later. <laughs> yeah. No, you're hundred percent right. Yeah. I, I, so do we think this is going to be like two-sided asymmetrical, like Atreides versus Harkonnen? And then you like have different houses that align with each of them, or is it going to be the full Atreides, Harkonnen, Freeman, all the different houses, Bene Gesserit, like everything, like free for all? Like, what kind of game are we going to get here? Yeah, I think I, I I believe again they don't tell you much in this press release, even date or anything like that. The artwork is in there, so you do get to see a number of the different characters from the books and the movie. I think they're certainly going with the book version, not movie representation here so that's good or bad obviously it's great to see artwork i i I would love and want artwork any day of the week original artwork versus having movie stills so that's fantastic i think they're going to include everybody but i think it's going to be just generally good versus evil kind of thing i think you're going to get the harkonnen and the empire versus you know the freeman and whatever's left of any you know paul and whoever's left we'll see Treaties versus Yeah, I don't know if you even have a Treaties necessarily. It might be might be the Fremen and Paul because it'd be nice. I mean, it'd be nice if they could play out multiple different scenarios with the board, right? You could play an Atreides Harkonnen version and then play a Fremen, you know, Fremen versus. I mean, you could play. I mean, again, this game. There's so many books. You Mm -hmm. could kind of play this multiple ways and multiple times. I don't know. I mean, it's it's really interesting here because Gale Force 9, which has this IP and has produced a number of games in the whole Dune universe, I don't know if this becomes oversaturated. I just, I'm going to be honest, like, I can't imagine this making all the monies. No. I mean, I'm excited about it because I love the designers and I and I really like Dune, but I don't. I don't see this making all the money unless the second movie comes out and just blows everybody away. First movie was amazing. Maybe because of the pandemic, it didn't get like the legs that they had hoped, but is it? I, I don't know. It just seems, I don't know. It's a weird I don't one. Know. I, I hope it's good. Um, I will say the last game that released from these guys that I was excited about was the Jonathan Strange and Mr. Normal board game. And it wasn't very good. Mm. So I will reserve judgment because that Barcelona, the roads of fire um, Marvel heroes. Well, that was a little bit older, but even hunt for the ring, which is good. Yeah. But it's not brilliant or the ring. Second edition is brilliant. Yeah. So I, I will need to see a lot of gameplay footage. I think before I give Simon a lot more money, because I've kind of signed off on giving them all my money for the last like three <laughs> years. And this game is tempting to give them all my money again, but, I need to know that it's going to be like War of the Ring good before I do that. Yeah, and I think I think the people who care about mechanics who or who will appreciate the mechanics enough is a smaller group. Like, yeah. I'm sure people are going to want to have the giant sandworm and, and have the figures, but I don't think they're as iconic as a lot of the other stuff that Simon does. This is not Marvel Zombies. Right, you know, or anything like any kind of big IP. I mean, this seems to be like what Richard Lanius did with Defenders of the Realm, that he had an amazing board game mechanic gameplay setup, and he was just like, hey, we could do this with Sentinels of the Multiverse, and I'll just, you could take that part, right? You could take the engine and, and slap an IP around it. So I think that's probably what we're going to see here, which again, is not a bad thing, because it's a great 
gameplay mechanic. So maybe Anthony, you have um, Paul and his mother moving through the desert, like you have Frodo and Sam. Yeah. So maybe that's that kind of you know hidden movement element might might play into it. So just basically what happens at the end of the first movie that we just saw recently. Yeah. Well, so we, we shall see. It says this year on Kickstarter, so we'll see. <laughs> uh, see, might be crazy, man. It does. Yeah. <laughs> well, follow up with that. We'll let you know when it hits. You know. Spice must flow, and clearly it's flowing for Simon. Jeez, man. That's a lot of money. All right. So that's the games that we want to hit our table. Let's talk about the games that did hit our table, and we'll let you all know if those games are a buy, and you should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play, you should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge, you should avoid them. Or if those games are the dreaded burn, and they get eaten up by the gigantic sandworm. Anthony, what do you have for us this week? All right. So I have a game that I got on Kickstarter uh, not too long ago, um, from BoardGameTables.com. This is one of their Kickstarters from last year. Uh, uh-huh. Air Raid. That's this is, made up. It's it's not. It's <laughs> it's a on the cover. It's a bear like uh-huh. kicking a bull um, because okay. it's the stock market. Because you know what the bear market, not the bull. No, bear is bad. Bull's good. I forgot. Gotcha. Um, so it's designed by Ryan Courtney, who made Pipeline for anybody who's played that incredibly brutal, challenging um, game of buying and selling oil. And in it, you are just buying and selling stocks. And that's it. You're not even really selling the stocks. You're shorting the stocks. So you start with 100 bucks, and the amount of stocks that are out there vary by the number of players, the way in which you engage with the stocks varies by the number of players, but effectively you can buy stock at whatever cost it is currently and add it to your own personal stock tracker Um, behind your player sheet. It's hidden. And then there are dice that come out every round. You roll those dice and those will impact what direction the stock is going to go. So there are different event cards for every stock. They change every round. There's the game I play had nine rounds, but it varies based on player count. And you sometimes it'll go up if you have high numbers, sometimes it'll go down if you have high numbers, sometimes it'll go down if you have low numbers, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And so you're constantly trying to manipulate the dice, you're trying to manipulate the stocks. Um, you can take the dice personally and control what goes into the bag to be rolled. You can control what dice are set to be rolled by taking an action to place them out there onto the, the little card that's in the middle of the table. Um, you can short stocks, and this is how you get new cash in the game as you short a stock. But if you short that stock and it goes up in value later, you're really losing money. So you have to be careful about what you short when you short it. You have to make sure you short it at a high enough cost and then you bring that cost down so that you can make up the difference later <laughs> on. You're taking a loan, effectively. Um, it's all made up money, right? So it's mm-hmm. a, uh, it's a stock market. It's nonsense. Um, <laughs> that's basically the game. You do that for many, many rounds. It goes around the table two or three times. And you try to end the game with the most money. I did terribly at this game because I shorted a stock and tried to run that stock down, but everybody else was trying to run it up. And it the very last round, it split, and I ended up with 16 shares of this stock that I had shorted that was then worth $30 or whatever it was. So I lost 450 bucks on top of whatever I had made. 
but it was still very fun. Um, the game is fairly short. It takes about an hour. It's relative. I, I, I want to say it's easy to teach, but it's really not unless you understand how the stock market works, which mm. most of us don't because nope. <laughs> again, it's nonsense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you know how the stock market works, if you understand kind of the f- buy sell shorting flow of stocks in and out of any individual company, by all accounts, it's fairly intuitive for those people who did. I don't. I, uh, so it took me two or three rounds to fully understand what shorting meant and how to offset that, how to manipulate the stocks and mess with other people's stuff. If you're not a big fan of market games, if you're not a big fan of speculation and stock holding and the randomness of having those dice come out, because you can do whatever you want to mitigate them. But at the end of the day, if you roll a bunch of sixes and it's bad for you, it's bad for you. Um, if you don't like that, then it's probably not for you. But I had fun with it. I thought it was an interesting game. I thought there was enough going on here and it was engaging enough that I would play it again. So it's a play for me. Uh, I don't know how many people I would fully recommend this to. Like I'm trying to think of all the people in my different game groups um, because it is a very particular type of game. It's stock based. It's speculation based. There's a lot of luck involved and you have to do things that are mean to each other. You have to enjoy that kind of game. Right. Mm. Uh but all of that taken into account and the fact that it only takes an hour to play, I enjoyed it. So Bear Raid for me is a play. Um, it's, again, a really fantastic production because it's board game tables. They just do really solid productions overall in all of their games. Uh, and you can find a copy. I feel like it's a little too expensive for what is it? what it is, what it comes in the box. It's like 40 bucks, 50 bucks. Um, it's 40 bucks base and then 54 if you want the wooden upgrades which you do want Mm -hmm. Um, cardboard tokens aren't that great it's it's not a 50 dollars game it shouldn't be a 50 dollars game there's just a lot of bits in the box but yeah if you see it and you're up for this kind of game i definitely recommend playing it so there you go bear raid that's a play (laughs) is this why we have inflation is this is this the reason do we figure it out I still don't understand. I don't know. Like Jeez. I, my final score in this game was negative 75. So don't ask me about inflation. <laughs> wow. I did very poorly. That's fascinating, right? Like you said, part of, part of the whole thing here is that once you really get involved in economics and you realize it really is a game and people are just trying to figure out the rules the entire time and trying right. to make just like, educated decisions somewhere along the way just like does this work i don't know like (laughs) what do you think i don't know either so yeah makes me feel much much better that i'm a board gamer so like yeah i I see what you guys are trying to do here but eh, not so much yeah wow i I feel like this is probably a really good microcosm of the stock market where like yeah all right i understand that i'm manipulating things i understand that i want to make the most money i don't 100 understand how i'm getting there but I got there, so I win, right? Yeah, it's kind of funny, too, because the as you said, Anthony, as you described the cover, it makes sense. But it's so cartoony and weird that you wouldn't think that this was actually a legit game. And it is. And that's kind of fascinating because certainly this is something that you could kind of learn from, too. So right. or at least this is something that people need to learn from because clearly there's a lot of shenanigans happening these days. Right. All right. Well, I and speaking of shenanigans, there, there's my segue. See, turned out there was a segue there. I want to talk about micro macro crime city. 
find the small traces to solve the big cases. This is a game that I talked about quite some time ago as an acquisition disorder and got all the Spiritus Yaris attention and awards and everything else and then just disappeared because everyone bought it. Remember, we reminded you of that, right? Spiritus Yaris award winners, everyone buys those games. So if you're not familiar with Micro Macro Crime City, basically it's a giant map piece of paper, more or less, a, a, a wonderful piece of artwork. Think, where's Waldo? But everywhere Waldo is, there's a lot of murder happening. So you get this black and white sketched out paper and you get these little cases that go into these really kind of cute little wax sleeves. And then you're supposed to figure out the cases. So each of the cards will give you clues along the way to help you figure out where murder took place, who was responsible, and other details that go along with it. And each of the cases start from very simple, from one star all the way up to five stars. And as you go up and you do more and more cases, the cases become more complicated. Now, that being said, basically the whole game is very much a staring contest where you and everyone at the table will stare at this giant city with these little cute cartoon characters that have met with some weird demise or going about their lives as all these things are happening. And it is a where's Waldo kind of board game. So there are two things here. First off, this plays best at a smaller player count. Yes, the map is big, but typically the crimes happen in relatively a particular, you know, district of that city. So you have everyone on top of each other staring at that one spot. So two to three players is probably ideal for this. You can play this solo without an issue whatsoever. That being said, the game is very much a game experience. There's no timers. There's no like way to win the game necessarily. You're trying to figure out the different crimes, but if you stare long enough, you'll be able to track down what happened or get frustrated enough that you're like, I don't think I want to play another round of this at this moment. That being said, it's a lot of fun. Shocking, right? And also, it's one of those things that you can actually kind of somewhat possibly pass off to people who don't normally play board games as a board game. So you could say, hey, want to play a game? And they're like, uh, is there rules? I'm like, nope, there's literally no rules. Let's let's put out this giant piece of paper on the table and then let's follow the clues. And it basically starts off by telling you exactly where things start. You trace sometimes backwards in time because everything on this map is not just a crime occurred, but everything that led up to it. So sometimes you're chasing the characters down. Sometimes you're going backwards through time. So everything present in this city is past, present, and future at the same time. I know it sounds a little weird and meta, it's actually what happens on the, on this kind of major city. It comes with two little magnifying glasses. They're not the best. We kind of got rid of those almost immediately. I also picked up the expansion for this. I think this is a relatively good kind of, I don't know, filler game. Something that you could play with practically everybody. It's not that violent that you couldn't play with teenagers, maybe kids. But at the same time, I think the expansion itself comes out and gives you kind of like 
notices about like, hey, this might be a little too more delicate for your kids or your family, depending who's coming into play here. So yeah, micro macro crime city. I guess I can give it a play, but I'm also just going to tell you it's a game experience and not a game. That's not a fault against it because there are a lot of games that are not games. They're just games experiences. But if you do see this at the table, go over. I think you'll have a good time. Yeah, this is fun. I, I enjoyed my time with it as well. I, I feel like it's in the same bucket as like the Unlock games where mm-hmm. it's fun, but it's not something you like go out and buy. It's something that you get a group of people and you pass it around. Yes. Right? Like, I finished it. Now I pass it off to someone else. <laughs> and then you like 10 people might buy one copy and then share it because when you're done with it, you're done with it. You're never going to play it again. There's no reason to. You know where everything is. Uh, yeah, and it's a little hard, too, because as you play through the different cases, you get to see other stuff that happens on the map. Right. So you almost like, oh, I remember seeing something like this at a certain place. So interesting. It's it's an interesting concept. It's it's one of those concepts that's like so, so obvious that you feel like, you know, you want to kick yourself that you didn't think about it. But also it's so well executed that at the same time, when you look at this giant city, little miniature city with all these, you know, oddities and how they kind of place everything together, it is kind of impressive. But yes, as you said, Anthony, I think this is one of those things where, like, this is a party, party game by Pegaspiel that did a great job. And this is something certainly, like, you play once, you pass it around, everyone tries it out, goes, oh, that's interesting, that's cool, and then you probably forget about it. But nonetheless, right. it's good to have something at the table. Yep. All right, so that's everything that's hitting our table. Anthony, let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are ranking our games of the year. There's been a lot of years. There's been a lot of games. And you know what? We're ranking them. Top 10, brother. What do you have to say about our games of the year? (laughs) Yeah, so this is always fun. Uh, At the end of the year, I feel like every year, I always have this feeling of, we didn't play everything, so how do we know what the best game is? And sure. I know that every outlet has that, with a very few exceptions of the people who do it like full time professionally. I mean, if people would send us games, Anthony, that's all I'm saying. I'd play <laughs> them all, but these people refuse to send us all the games. Send us I just, every I just... game and then pay us to play them, please. Yes. Uh, Why is that so hard? That's all we want. I, I, cheese. Come on, people. Get on. Get, get, get with it. So. <laughs> So what the result of that is that we have like these snapshots, right? We look back at 2015 or 2013 or 2017 and we have a snapshot of these are the games that we played and this is mm-hmm. the best game of what we played. It doesn't mean these are the best games that came out in the last 10 years, but in any given year, it's the best game that we played through that year. So it's interesting to kind of see what that looks like, like what we prioritized, what we thought was most valuable what's held up over time by p- kind of ranking them against each other. And then mm-hmm. like at the top of the list, which games are all timers that sure. maybe are almost a decade old and were our top games and still are right. Mm-hmm. So that that's why we wanted to put this together. Cause we thought it'd be a lot of fun to look back and see what holds up. What does it, are there games from that year that maybe rank higher now? I don't know, but um, yeah, it, it kind of evolves over time. Yeah. I think that's important too. Cause Looking back and seeing if a game has staying power, seeing if it deserves to be there, as we said, there's been a lot of years with a lot of different 
kind of combination of like mass production, certain companies, you know, reproducing, reprinting. And it really does take a, a while for a game to kind of set its place. So when we were looking at this list, Anthony, I know that we were talking about a lot of different ways to kind of rank things. And I know in particular, there are certain games here. All of the games here are good. Of course, they're great games. And I think all of them have stood the test of time. And yet there are some games that are still getting played today and are still thought of as like the greatest games regardless. Like you got to imagine we're going back a decade and we're still saying, you know what? This is still like one of the greatest games. And that's just like, it's kind of shocking and amazing that you could say that about so many of these games. So yeah, really? Yeah, this is, this is fantastic. So Anthony, uh, let's get onto the list. Yes. So, all right, I'm going to start it off with number 10. And number 10 is a bit of a cheat because <gasps> we launched this podcast in 2013, uh, which means we've been active in 10 different years. But 2022 isn't over yet. So, oh, please <laughs> don't get over. <laughs> I know. Uh, we don't have a game of the year for 2022 yet. And honestly, if you ask me what my game of the year for 2022 was, I don't think I'd have an answer because it's been a weird, not great year at least from our perspective. I know there's a lot of really good games that people dig that have come out, but um, we have a bunch of stuff like mid-year thoughts. Like these are games that we've kind of experienced or encountered or people are talking about, but we don't know where we're going to land at the end of this year. Like in terms mm-hmm. of what the best game of 2022 is, it might be a game yet to come out at Gen Con or Essen. Um, there have been a lot of good games. There's Carnegie, which uh, shipped to backers, you know, a couple of months ago. Uh, this has been available for people to play for over a year, but it, on Board Game Arena, but it's come out now, and people are really, really enjoying it. Um, there's Foundations of Rome, also finally shipped to backers after a long delay. People are really enjoying that from Emerson Matsuchi. Libertalia: Winds of Galecrest, the re-release of Libertalia, um, came out from Stonemire this year. Zapotec, which I really, really enjoyed, will probably be in my top 10 at the end of the year. Um, Space Station Phoenix is getting a lot of buzz right now from Rio Grande Games. Uh, hard to find, quickly went out of print, but a lot of people are really buzzing about that. Decorum as a like a party game. People are really in on this game as well. Kind of a clever, unique take on um, kind of comparing different choices among a group. Uh, Bullet is a quick, puzzly type of game. Uh, the new version of that has come out recently. The Root Expansions. Talk about some expansions. We have the Root Expansions, Dune Imperium, Rides of Ix, which honestly probably is going to be our expansion of the year at this point because for how much it makes Dune a better game. Mm-hmm. Marvel United, X-Men. Um, not really an expansion, but a re-implementation of Marvel United. Does a really good job. Uh, Return to Dark Tower. A lot of people, a lot of people bought this game. And it is currently the second highest rated game of the year. Um, along with Wonderland's War at number three, which has been kind of shooting up the list. People are really, you know, eager and interested in playing more of this game. Um, and then like a, some oddball stuff too. Like I got a copy in of Disney Sorcerer's Arena, which I have not yet had a chance to play with the kids, but looking through the rules and kind of getting it set up, it looks like a really interesting arena style battle game with Disney characters that will be sold at Walmart and Target. I don't really understand what they're going with this, but it could be really good. So I don't know 
what's going to be the game of the year of 2022. It could literally be any of these, or it could be something completely different that we haven't even seen yet. It hasn't even been announced yet. So uh, we'll get back to you in January and let you know. Yeah, I think as of now, the games that we've seen have been good, but they've only been like number 10 good. Right. So we'll see. That, Maybe there's no game that I've played this year that I would put above any other game on this list. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And again, there may be in the, in the next six months, but at this moment, not so much. We'll hold, hold on. We'll see. All right. Our number nine game is from 2019. This is City of the Big Shoulders. I think one of our listeners was just talking about having an economic game happening in one of the great cities of the United States. And this game, everything happens in Chicago. After the fire of 1871, a bunch of entrepreneurs have come into the city to rebuild the great city. And the game utilizes so many of the great household names that we've come to know and love. So it's kind of fun. You get to you know own and operate these companies that you knew or you had heard about back in the day. Now, this is primarily a stock manipulation game. So your typical 18 double X, not to worry, non 18 double X fans out there. This is a Euro style version of this. So there is kind of a hybrid action going on here. And basically throughout the game, you're starting companies throughout, whether they're yours or someone else and how they're going to get passed around and traded. You're trading shares, hiring employees, you know, equipping factories, producing goods, and then hopefully being able to deliver those goods. So there's a lot of different actions that come into play here. It's not just stocks, but stocks obviously plays the biggest part in this game in order to operate and manipulate the market throughout. But a lot of fun, a lot of different ways to play this game. Really enjoyable. Anthony, City of the Big Shoulders from 2019. Yeah, great game. Uh, need to get that to the table more. Number eight on the list. This is a game from early in our tenure on the podcast um that at the time i remember this game was huge for us we played this at a convention in new jersey and all of us were enamored with it instantly uh and that's uh tom lehman's role for the galaxy so this mm-hmm. is the dice based re-implementation of race for the galaxy that was quicker a little bit more accessible in terms of like the iconography and the general mechanics of the game and just a lot of fun uh it it was a game that hit the table a lot in 2014, 2015. And with the expansions up, not quite including ambition, uh, but with some of the expansion materials, there's a lot more game here to be had. Um, now it's not the heaviest game on this list. It's not the most engaging. It's not a game, honestly, that hits the table all that often anymore, eight years later, but it still does a really good job with a core mechanic that we've seen in, maybe a dozen other games at this point, this is one of the better implementations of that mechanic of the one person chooses an action and everybody else based on what's chosen. If you've chosen that action can, can activate it. Right. So um, roll for the galaxy from 2014 uh, was our game of the year that year. It's number eight on our top 10 of game of the year games. Our number seven game is a split decision. Anthony and I, had different games of the year that year and felt so strongly that we had co-winners for that year. So, um, Anthony, I'll let you talk about yours and I will talk about mine. 
Mine is a bit of an oddity here. This is Feudum. Feudum is back. It was a Kickstarter game that looked like nothing that you've ever seen, especially for a Euro game out there. This is from Mark Swanson. And basically what you're doing is you're controlling guilds. So you have these guilds kind of wrapped around the board. And what's really fun and fascinating about the game is when you operate and move one of the guilds, it then cascades and activates other guilds around it. So that's fun. You have a lot of these action cards that come into play, how you move, how you're able to build, how you're able to take control, spread influence. And then you are feuding with other lords and ladies out there in order to you know take over the largest plots of land as possible. It's strange. It's unique. It is crunchy as all get out. It's a little challenging to get to the table because it does take some education, but it's a fascinating game and something I always love getting to the table. I I would still haven't played this. Like we had this whole conversation <laughs> way back in uh, 2018 when we chose these and I was like, yeah. I might love this too, but I haven't played it. I still have not played it four years later. Uh, um, I get you to the table, man. I know, but, but my game of the year for that year, I have played a lot. So it's a game I've okay. continued to play a lot. Teotihuacan, City of mm-hmm. Gods from Daniel Tashini. Um, it's had th- four expansions now, if you include the smaller ones. And it's just such a succinct, simple, um, intuitive game in the realm of the medium heavier weight euros that we play, right? Mm-hmm. You have these multiple dice, you move them around, you take the actions they land on based on the power of the die, and that's it trying to get the most points by doing that. But the sequence in which you do those actions, the position of other players around the board and how that influences the power of your action. And then like how you contribute to things like building up the pyramid. Those are all elements that you have to keep in mind. And if you can juggle all those things in your head at the same time, you'll do well at the game. Um, And then expansions come along and they add new types of temples. They add asymmetrical powers that are not just like benefits but also have one of my favorite type approaches to asymmetrical powers is you break the rule in this way you get all this extra stuff if you do xyz but here's a bad thing that happens to you right like so maybe you get a bonus when you take a certain action but now you can only move one at a time instead of three like huge huge like swings that happen because of that and it really forces you in a certain type of strategy so at the time it was my game of the year with the expansions it still remains one of my favorite games uh, and yeah, still up here on the list. Fantastic. All right. So moving on to number six, this is, uh, on Mars from 2020. This is uh Vital Lacerda and it's almost a shame that this is our one Lacerda game on the list. He's released several games <laughs> in yeah. our 10 year span, but this is probably the first time that we were both fully aware of it and like on board and, jumped into the game like Lisboa didn't make it in 2017 because I don't think we'd played it yet in 2017 yeah. also 2017 was a really good year for games it was <laughs> um Vinos the Gallerist, Kanban those are all games that came out while we've been running this podcast but we played them all much later um on Mars we both backed we both played it immediately when it came out um immediately immediately too because this was 2020 like January 2020 so if, if we were going to play this game at all, it was January or February of 2020 before sure. COVID I played, hit. I played this at PAX Unplugged even before it went out to backers. So Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I played mine the day after it came in. It was like mid-January, and then we played mm-hmm. again in February. Um, and it stayed our game of the year for the whole year because it, yeah. it's that good. It's You're going to Mars. You're trying to manage all these different elements. You're going around. You're exploring the planet. You have this mechanic where you're going back and forth from orbit down to the planet. And that like impacts what you're able to do and when you're able to do it. It's by numbers on Board Game Geek, his crunchiest game. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but it's definitely up there. And the expansion that just came in, um, Alien Invasion, adds multiple different modules, including cooperative play to the game. Very excited to play that when I have a chance. Fantastic. Yeah, again, another another fantastic year. All right, our number five is Dominant Species Marine. Now, again, the kind of funny thing here is Dominant Species as a board game has gotten more attention than you probably know. We talked about the, the Cones of Dunshare from Parks and Rec. We've talked about like the quintessential Euro game, at least that Marathrash people kind of point out like, ah, look, it's cubes and cones. And and you're just like, uh-huh. And then you look at this really cool kind of dynamic box and what's happening at the table and the fact it takes hours and you're like, this is probably good, but also I don't know if I could do this. And then here comes Chad Jensen releasing that masterpiece and then revitalizing, reinventing it for a dominant species marine. For And again, just a wonderful kind of reinventing of his amazing concept here. And back in 2021, I was like, you didn't expect this to come out. And, and sadly, we lost him. But we, we do have this wonderful game here. Now, if you play dominant species at all you understand the idea of dominating the whole landscape and talking about, you know, 60 some odd million years ago as life is fighting for supremacy. Dominant Species Marines come along and makes the game a lot more approachable, a lot more accessible, a lot more dynamic. Actions are now taken immediately instead of programming those actions and hoping that those comes out. Domination is such a big part of the game, of course, but now it's spread out amongst a larger board, so it's not as tedious as far as counting every little bit. Uh, animals no longer have default abilities. You actually have an opportunity, you know, in the game, you're given three trade cards, so you actually get to choose and have a little asymmetry in your gameplay there. There's special pawns that allow you to have more flexibility throughout the game. It just allows you to do more of what Dominant Species already did so well. It gets in on the table quicker, easier, more dynamic, more fun. And it's just, just it's a phenomenal game. And we're just really, you know, blessed to have such a great game at the table all the time. So Dominant Species Marine. Yes, absolutely. Fantastic game. All right. Number four, another split decision. And this one was actually just a straight split decision amongst the four of us that were on the podcast at the time in 2015. Yeah. Um, we had blood rage first. I'll talk about blood rage. This is the first in Eric Lang's pantheon trilogy or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at uh, Norse mythology and it remains to this day, my favorite of the three I've played rising sun several times. I've played Ankh a couple times now in 2022 and blood rage is still just, a masterpiece in terms of dudes on a map with Euro mechanics and being able to manipulate that in an interesting way without necessarily just having to constantly fight. 
uh, from the card drafting <laughs> that allows you to kind of influence what other people have access to, to the multiple different strategies and directions that you can take with those cards, whether you want to go heavily into combat or heavily into the opposite with the Loki strategy. Sure. Um, you have a lot of options in how you play this game. And it's, you know, just pretty to look at. And one of the best things about it, too, is because it was an early Simon game, there's not a ton of bloat to it, right? It has a couple expansions that add interesting things to the game, but there are not dozens of expansions and boxes all over your house you have to take out and unpack <laughs> if you want to play the game. Yeah. Bonk so, takes an hour. It's oh ridiculous. God. There's so much junk. Yeah. Bloodridge, you can fit it all in one box. I have it all in one box. You can do it. Um, still a brilliant game. Still would happy to play it any day of the week. Yeah. Again, uh, all of these games are modern day classics, no doubt. And they get so much game play. And there was recent digital versions released. So, I mean, it, it just, the, the longevity is a testament to how great the game is. On the other side, talking about giant miniatures and everything that Eric Lang was doing is the opposite, but also the equal Seven Wonders Duel right. <laughs> from Anton Bauza and Bruno Cathala. And it's the smallest game that packs the biggest punch I've ever seen. Seven Wonders is one of my favorite games of all time, and nothing ever should come near it. And somehow they did it anyway. They decided to make a legit two-player seven wonders game that should not work especially with tiny little cards and yet you set up these pyramids and you go through the same three ages as you do somewhat very similar to seven wonders you're picking up resources and technology and military and it's this amazing tug of war between can you get the science victory just a science victory not points like in seven wonders but just science victory or can you get a military victory and just military or again of course points so you have everything that seven wonders does and somehow i don't know how they boiled it down they shrunk it down it plays incredibly well and when you play the game it's amazingly intense because you're trying to do everything all at the same time you're trying to manage the push and pull of the military. You're trying to get the science in there, especially to give you special abilities throughout. And then, of course, you're just trying to keep your eyes on victory points because inevitably that's how most of those games tend to end. Again, if everyone's keeping their eye on the ball, so to speak. But a lot of ways to win that game. And again, not a typical kind of game. It's had, I think, at least two expansions now at this point. Both expansions are good. Both expansions are not needed, but both their expansions are good, and that's always good to say. Seven Wonders Duel. All right, next up for our number three game. It is one of the biggest games, especially back in the day. I don't know if it's well, maybe for pound for pound in some cases, unless you unless you have a Simon around. Uh Caverna. Caverna, my friends. I again talk about games that should you think that when Agricola came out, it was going to be the game of all time. It had everything about farming. Uwe Rosenberg did it. There's no way to come back to it. Don't even bother. Don't you dare. You're going to break it. You're going to mess it up. And then, hey, here's a $100 board game. And everyone's like, a $100 board game? Like, that's crazy. <laughs> $100 Euro game? I would never pay $100 for a Euro game. And, and that, that's what we do all the time. Don't, don't tell anybody. So Caverna came out. And 
it took the complexity of the decks in Agricola and it made it reasonable, meaningful, and understandable by transforming all those cards into little tiles that were on the board for everyone to select from. So no longer did you need to know the decks and what cards were in there and how they interacted with each other. And maybe or maybe you didn't get those out. Not to mention the fact that with a curriculum, everyone was always starving. And maybe you could get out a few points. Caverna was all about giving you all the options up front. Allowing you to great create a, a tremendous tableau. And then throughout the whole entire game, you're building up your unique victory point engine. So you're not just doing everything everyone else is doing you have something specific for you. So maybe it's coal, maybe it's wood, maybe it's farming, maybe it's animals. You have a way to score maximum amounts of victory points in the game. It's incredibly satisfying throughout, as long as you can see all the tiles on the board. Uh, a great, great, amazing game, even to this day holds up. Caverna, the cave farmers. Yes, brilliant game. And at one point, our number one game of all time, amongst all of us. Yes. So. All right, uh, number two on the list is this was a showdown in 2016. It took multiple attempts to figure out what our game of the year was that year because there <laughs> were so many good games, but two in particular jumped out. There was Scythe and Terraforming Mars, and Scythe came out on top. Um, this was a game we had been looking forward to for so long. Before the Kickstarter, before the game was even really a glimmer in anybody's eye, we were talking about this game. We did a preview for it, like the fall before it came out, before it was on Kickstarter with Jamie Stegmaier. Um, I was, I think, the number three backer. You were like the number two backer. Like we were in there <laughs> so early. Yeah. And when it came in, it hit like a thunderbolt. It was as good as we wanted it to be, which was surprising yeah. because nothing ever is. <laughs> so um, this was a game from, and, and you know, Stegmaier had done a lot of good games before. He did Euphoria and Viticulture were both great games. But Scythe did something different, right? It was a big, sprawling game. It was large. It was beautiful. It had fantastic artwork. at all these components. It had all these miniatures and pieces that would populate the map. Um, and it did all of that because it was on Kickstarter. It relatively, I mean, at the time, it seemed like a lot of money. These days, it's nothing. It was like $80. <laughs> and the replayability was really high because you every game you were building out an engine that was unique to your faction and each faction was unique in its own way with the special powers that they had. So while at first it looked like this kind of war game where you're going out there with these different mechs and attacking each other, it's very rare you interacted with each other beyond like competing for space. Really it was an economic Euro building up an engine to try to generate points. And it did it really effectively. And over the years, it's gotten even better with expansions, especially, you know, I have not played it, but the Fen Rise of Fenris expansion, um, as Chris has spoken to many times, yes. <laughs> really adds a lot of layers to the game. So, yes. uh, again, all-time classic game, well worth playing, even now, six years later, uh, Scythe, number two. Yeah, it was one of those games that, on Kickstarter, was the biggest thing, and then... Even at the conventions, it was the biggest thing. And even still at the game tables, just wherever you were having a meetup, it was still the biggest thing. And with the Fenris expansion, it really just 
legitimizes it in a real way because there's so many ways to play the game now and all the ways are good. So it, it just brought the game to the next level. And that was great to say. Well, Anthony, that leads us to our number one game of the last, give or take, 10 years. So when we're ranking our games of the year, there has to be a number one. And again, we're talking some heavy hitters throughout, not just the 10 games that we're talking about here, but the last 10 years of games. And we talked about this, again, a lot of debate about this, a lot of conversations about this, but inevitably an agreement. This would be from 2017, Spirit Island. Yes. So if, again, Spirit Island was an amazing thematic complex co-op game and again that was something that we weren't seeing so often and it was such a smart game because each of the each of the participants that at the table were choosing a different asymmetrical kind of spirit with its own kind of powers maybe it acted fast or slow maybe it, it conducted a lot of fear or a lot of destruction maybe it utilized the native people for support or maybe it brought the oceans in so each of the different spirits, and again, since it's a co-op game, how they work together really made the gameplay. Now, you had invaders throughout invading this peaceful land that the spirits have been raised upon them. And how you played cards were just wasn't just about you, but you played cards so that other people could play cards in tandem. And you were able to come up with different strategies, how your spirits could work together in order to gain you know, a certain flow to kind of knock out those invaders. It's a fun, dynamic, stress and filled game, but really what it does best is it, it's probably the game that gives you the most dynamic, interesting decisions possible. And for me, that's what really makes a great game. So yes, you can play a game that's about you making great decisions and interesting decisions. But when you have a full realized, thematic, just crunchy, fantastical game at the table and you have to think together as a team that's an amazing project and they nailed it in so many different ways and there's been so many expansions here so many different spirits to the table so many complexity levels it plays with a a wide range of player counts all the player counts are good and they're all a lot of fun and again because of the co-op nature of the game you can play this game endless numbers of times it's gotten a digital steam release but it's really best at the table where you could talk to your friends and try to figure out how to push back all of those different invaders throughout anthony what do you think yeah i mean it's it's crazy too because if you look back at 2017 there are 11 games from that year that are in the top 100 of all time on board game geek like including the number one game gloomhaven uh There's Gloomhaven, there's Twilight Imperium 4th Edition, Gaia Project, Anachrony, Clans of Caledonia, Lisboa, Azul. These are amazing games, and we chose Spirit Island, and we stand by it because it's so good. Um, It's been your number one game of all time. It's in my top five, Yeah, and I'll buy anything that comes out for it because it's it's such an... And I'm not even a huge co-op player. No, me either. But it does such a brilliant job of creating... Unique, engaging, uh, fascinating decision trees for each spirit that you can play. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, it's it's our favorite of our top games of the year of the last ten years. Um, 
possibly the best game of the last 10 years. Who knows? Maybe we'll, we'll do that one listed in another week. But yeah, Spirit Island is amazing. All right. So that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table. Take care, everyone. Bye.